right, good morning. My name is Will Vakurvich. I'm director of mission collectives and communities here at Redemption Tempe. It's good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, as you heard, we'll be in the book of Matthew continuing our series on the Sermon of, on the Mount. And so if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand and one of our ushers will, will come up and get you guys a copy of God's Word. If you don't own a Bible, uh, this is our gift to you. Feel free to take it home. We'd also like to invite you guys to start today in our True Story project. This is a project where, as a whole church, we're reading through the whole Bible over the course of a whole year. And uh, we've been doing this for the last few months. We just started the book of Deuteronomy. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm really, really glad to be done with Numbers and Leviticus. Uh, so if, if you're not familiar with that project, there's a room in the back after the service. People would love to answer the questions. You can get a reading plan and, and join us. So what we keep saying is start today. And that's not only for new people. That's also for some of us who have fallen behind. Maybe I'm the only one. <laughs> start today. So as, as we've been going through this True Story project and, and reading lots of different Verses, passages, there's strange things that have been going on in the story. It's refreshing to get back to a, a, a passage like this, right? Pretty straightforward. Ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open. But there's also a challenge as we think through this passage. For some of us who have been around church for a while, this is very familiar. Um, we may have it memorized and not even realize that we have it memorized. And so what do we do with these familiar passages that aren't strange and obscure and talking about sacrifices and like snakes in the desert and some of these other things we've been reading about. And I was reminded after, after the nine, uh, I was talking to a guy who, who told me this, this really cool um, illustration from, from Tim Keller of, you know, these things like we know, but we don't know, right? Like uh, Atina and Warren and I were, were talking about how it seems like we're saying the same thing every week here, like God is the father, and the Father is good. And maybe there's a reason that we need to keep hearing this. And so Tim Keller talks about, remember the old vending machines? Not like the new ones where you can just swipe the card and the robotic, like everything works well. But like the old ones where you would put the quarter in. And you could hear it like clink, 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 clink. And it might get stuck. And what Keller says is sometimes that's like the gospel in us. We hear it and we know it, but it kind of gets stuck between our brains and our hearts. So, so Keller, I love it. He says, sometimes you got to like bang on the side of the, of the vending machine. And I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I need that. Like I know that we should be asking the Father, but sometimes I, I, need, to, I need a couple kicks on the side of, the, of my vending machine to get that message down into my heart. And so that's the goal for today. Will you guys, will you guys pray with me before we dive in? God, thank you for today. Thank you for time together. Thank you that you are a good father. Thank you that you care about us. You invite us to um, ask you and, and for the things that we need and that we want, that you invite us to seek after you and you tell us to knock and you're faithful. You will respond. Thank you that you love us. Help us to believe that more. We pray all these things in your name, Lord. Amen. So, so I like this passage. It's a nice, fun passage. It almost kind of feels like a Hallmark card at times. And, and, and when Ricardo gave me the preaching schedule, I was like, sweet. There's been some challenging ones. If you guys were with us in Judges, we've preached through some hard things. And so I was excited for this. And, you know, this would be a nice kind of um, passage to walk with you guys through. And then I started to read through it and, and pray through it and do some studying. And I realized that God was starting to bring some things up in my own heart. 
And, and it stems back to something really, really good and beautiful and true that happened in my childhood. It was a very formative event. Maybe some of you guys can relate to it. It's called the Karate Kid. And not, like, if you're younger, and when I say Karate Kid, you think of Jackie Chan, like, I'll pray for you. That's not what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about, like, the original Daniel LaRusso, Karate Kid, Pat Morita, right? You guys remember this, Mr. Miyagi. And Mr. Miyagi taught us all a lesson. He taught us that we could do whatever we put our minds to. If we practiced, if we painted the fence, if we waxed the car... We could do whatever we put our minds to, and we heard these stories. If you're an 80s baby, maybe a 90s baby too, you heard these stories growing up, right? I heard the story of Michael Jordan, who was cut from his high school basketball team, and he practiced, and he worked hard, and he was successful, and then he made Space Jam, and everything was awesome, <laughs> right? And we're told this over and over, you can do it. You can do whatever you put your mind to. You just got to practice. You got to work hard and you can do it. You pull yourself up by your bootstraps. We don't need anyone. We're self-sufficient. This is like in the fabric of who we are as a people. We can figure these things out. There's no obstacle we can't overcome. And we believe these things. And we work towards these things, and these things shape how we view life. And then trouble comes. Life happens. And we realize we can't really do it all. We don't have every answer. But we've been taught, if we just really hard, if we work really hard, if we grit our teeth and bear it, we can figure it out. And so there's this tension that happens, this, this rub of, okay, so do I work hard? But then here it says to ask God, but then earlier it said God, God already knows what we need before we ask him, but I'm supposed to ask him anyways, and it can be confusing. What do we do? How do we navigate these waters? So this is what we're going to walk through today. This is what we're going to think through, because I don't know about you guys, but as I, as I start to reflect on this, I realize that I say I trust God. I say I know God's promises are good, that he's faithful to his promises, but functionally, if I'm honest with myself, I trust the weatherman more than I trust God. I, I trust like the expert picks for fantasy football. I feel like they're more reliable than the promises that God makes to me throughout scripture. And that's tough. Because we have to come to terms with how we view God. And this is what we've been talking through week after week throughout this Sermon on the Mount. Ricardo started with Jesus' words of the Beatitudes. Guys, this is what it looks like to be a citizen of the kingdom. It's not necessarily what our culture esteems, but it's peacemakers. It's those who are meek. It's those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And it's not just creating a distinct people for the purpose of having a bunch of weirdos that do things differently, but we're reminded that we're called to be salt and light, that we are the city on the hill whose light shines out into the darkness and it's attractive and invitational and welcoming. We're called to be the salt, the preservative um, in a decaying world, that where we are as Citizens of, in God's kingdom that we're pushing against the effects of the fall, the brokenness that we all feel, the frustration, the pain, the hurt, the sin that we've all experienced. 
And Jesus goes through and he reshapes how we view the law. The law is no longer a list of burdens that we have to shoulder, but rather this is a way that we can understand the depth of relationship that comes with the Father. Jesus introduces this concept of Father. He tells us to pray to our Father. We don't need to worry about doing our good deeds for others to see because our Father sees us. And we've talked about, if you guys have been with us, you've heard this. This was new language back then. For us, it's common. We go to church expecting to hear God referred to as Father. And so Jesus, over the last few weeks, has been saying some things about the Father. He says, you guys feel worry and you're really anxious. It's because you think you're God, but you're not. Your Father is God. You don't need to worry. You guys may feel, you guys, we, may feel like it's our job to judge other people. Jesus says, don't worry. That's not in your job description. You're not the judge. The Father is judge. You don't have to worry about it. And now Jesus invites us, because we are not in control of everything, contrary to popular belief, to trust the Father, to ask him, even for the small things, to seek him in everything that we do, to continue knocking. The language here is not a one-time ask or a one-time seeking or or a one-time knock, but it's a continual, a a state of pursuing after our Father. This is a posture, not a gesture. Spurgeon says, whether you like it or not, this kingdom is a kingdom of asking. Asking. It's a kingdom of reliance, of dependence upon our Father. So how we view the Father shapes how we receive these words. I love this quote by Richard Foster. Richard Foster wrote a great book on prayer, and he talks about, he's encouraging us us to ask our Father. And he says this. I promise he says something really good. He says, but here we must see the Abba heart of God. Abba was a word for daddy. So think the most intimate language you could use with a father. But here we must see the Abba, the daddy heart of God. In one important sense, nothing is more important to him than the anxiety we feel over the surgery we must face tomorrow. And the exasperation we feel today over our child's irresponsibility and the desperation we feel over the plight of our aging parents. These are matters of great magnitude to him because they are matters of great magnitude to us. It is a false humility to stand back and not share our deepest needs. His heart is wounded by our reticence. Just as we long for our children to share with us the petty details of their day at school, so God longs to hear from us the smallest matters of our lives. It delights him when we share. Think of that. The all-powerful, sovereign, in-control God of the universe delights in us when we share. We ask my, my oldest son every day, we pick him up from school, so how did school go? Fine. What'd you do today? I don't know. Nothing. And it's like, no, dude. I want to hear about your day. What happened? Did, did anything good happen? Did anything funny happen? And then he'll start to share these small details. And it's fun. 
It's fun to hear the world through his eyes. I appreciate that he allows me to come into his world. How much more God with us? We'll get there. So Jesus is telling us that we should be asking continually, we should be seeking continually, we should be knocking continually, and that everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. For everyone who knocks, it will be opened. He he goes on in in this very Jesus-like style of drawing illustrations from what I would imagine are things around him. So a couple weeks ago, we we talked about don't worry because God provides, and and Jesus is like, yeah, look, uh, like these birds, right? There's these little birds. They're flying around. They don't have a bank account. God still feeds them. And and check out those flowers over there. Not even Solomon, the, the wealthiest person you could imagine, was dressed like them, and all they do is grow. And so Jesus uses this next illustration to describe um, how the Father wants to bless us. And so he says this. He says, Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? He's saying, think about even the interactions between parents and children. When the child says they're hungry, the father's going to give him food. He's not going to give him a snake. In the book of Luke, how this is recorded is uh, if, if the child asks for a fish, the father's not going to give him a scorpion. This resonates with us in Arizona as some of us have many scorpions in our house. And this is true. We know this. It's, if those of you, if you guys are parents in the room, you're probably like me and you're already making mental note of what your kids are asking for Christmas. What are the things that they're interested in? How can I bless them? Because we like to see our kids filled with joy. We like to see them excited. Now, I'm going to use this illustration, and it may offend people. It's offended people as I've used it in the past, unknowingly. This is just my perspective. This is not the stance of Redemption Church. Okay? I don't really like Disneyland. You should see, I wish you guys were up here so you could see the faces. People are like, get him off the stage. (laughs) So we were in a group of people and and one of, uh, somebody that I used to know got married and and he and his wife for their honeymoon went to Disneyland. Now, if you guys went to Disneyland, I'm sorry, that's great for you. I'm not making fun of you. But for me, like, I don't know, I'm not 10. So, like, I wanted to go to, like, a grown-up place for my honeymoon, and I just thought it was weird. And so I'm, I'm telling this group of people, right, like, oh, my gosh, can you believe this? And they were like, oh, we went to Disneyland on our honeymoon and every anniversary since then. I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry to have upset you and offended you. I didn't grow up with a lot of Disneyland trips. My wife has. And so when we had our, our first son, she was like, we should go to Disneyland. I'm like, the kid won't remember any of this. This is a horrible investment because Disneyland is very expensive. So I worked with all of my might to hold off the Disneyland trip as long as humanly possible in my family. Um, And I was able to maintain for about five years. And and then we we succumbed to the evils of Disneyland. (laughs) So so we went to Disneyland. We took my oldest when he turned five, uh, and my youngest was two. And here's the deal. I love that trip. Not because I particularly care for Disneyland, not because it's awesome to be on a six-hour road trip with a five-year-old and a two-year-old, not because I like spending $45 for basically a Happy Meal, 
not for any of those things, but, but for the memories, right? And so I have a picture I'd like to share with you guys. This is why I love that trip. Yo, little Micah. Look at little Micah there. That's a good memory. There was joy in that moment of Micah seeing Mickey Mouse and running up to him with his arms open and giving him a big hug. That's something that sticks with you. Seeing that joy as a parent, seeing your children just absolutely overwhelmed with happiness. Disneyland's like a whole new world for them. And they enjoy it in their unique ways, right? We went to go see the, the Star Wars little show and, and, you know, we thought they would really enjoy it because they're into Star Wars. And so we're like, look, guys, look, there's the Jedi Knights. And you can see their personalities because my oldest son, Will, is like, how did, that stage came up from the ground. How do, how do the hydraulics work? How, how do they design this? Meanwhile, we're like, check out the Jedis. And Micah, you guys can pray for him. He's like, Darth Vader, right? <laughs> Stormtroopers. So, so we feel like Will could become an engineer um, for Micah. We're not really sure. We're just hoping he doesn't join the dark side. So we cling to pictures like this. <laughs> Jesus picks up on this theme, right? He understands that as parents, we like to give our kids good things. He says, if you guys like to do that, imagine your father. If you guys who are trying to be good parents like to give good things to your children, imagine how your father, who's not just a good parent, but who is good, he is goodness, wants to give you good things. Imagine the ways that you as loving parents are trying to communicate your love to your children. How much more the father, who is love, is trying to communicate that love to us. Our Father's good. He loves us. He's trying to give us good things. And, and at times we need these reminders. I, I remember um, I went to a Bible college in Canada and learned a lot about the Bible, learned all these really interesting kind of bits of Bible and, and theology and what the historical church thought and believed. And, and there comes this point where you realize like, well, these people thought this, and, and these people thought that, and those things seemed to contradict, and what about this, and this Greek word, and well, for a long time the church thought this, but then it changed, and, and it started to feel overwhelming, and there were times that I was like, man, I'm going to go into student debt to just have more questions about my faith than I went in here with? This seems strange, and, and I met with one of our resident directors. Um, he was an older gentleman, had a ton of wisdom. And we sat down, and I was talking to him about my frustrations and confusions, and what am I doing, and why am I here, and, and, and I can't make sense of anything. And he said, let me tell you what I know. He said, I know God is good. I know that he's in control. And I know those things because I spend time with him. You need to figure out what you know. That was a great challenge. Because I think so often we can get caught up in the other stuff. What about this? What about that? And this theology? And oh my goodness, there's an election happening. God is good. God is in control. And we know this by spending time with him. We can see, we can think of, each one of us can think of those things that we've prayed for. Those things that at one time you were passionately on your knees praying for, and now you're like, thank you, Jesus, that you did not answer that prayer. 
my life would be a wreck. My life would be out of control right now. And so Tim Keller describes it this way. He says, in short, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knew. This point was driven home in my house on Wednesday morning. My youngest son, Micah, the Darth Vader fan, um, it's, it's in every ounce of his character. He even wakes up early, right? Just a, the kid is a villain, I'm telling you. <laughs> so it's like, five, just kidding, people know my kid, and they're like, no. He wakes up at 5.45 in the morning, right? Talk about the dark side. And, and we, I take him out front, hopefully in time that he doesn't wake up his mom and his brother, and he says, I'm hungry. So, okay, what would you like for breakfast? He says, I want a lollipop. Like, dude, it's 5.45 in the morning. There's no way you're getting a lollipop. Like, I want a lollipop, right? He starts to get a little bit louder. Like, you're not going to get a lollipop. We have cereal or waffles. I want a lollipop. And it starts to escalate. If you guys have been around a two-year-old, you understand this scenario. It escalates to the point where he throws himself on the floor. He's like kicking, screaming, throwing his arms around. I want a lollipop. I want a lollipop. He doesn't understand what he's asking for. This guy has no concept of like, cavities or diabetes or right, any of these things. So we give him cereal. Because I love him. Because I care about the stinking kid. If I didn't care about him, I would give him whatever he wanted and, and I wouldn't pay any attention to the consequences. And I think sometimes, whether we like to admit it or not, we're like the two-year-old and we really want a lollipop. And our father's like, that's not good for breakfast. It's not a healthy choice right now. I'm not going to give you the lollipop. No matter how much Micah whined and cried, he's not getting the lollipop. He's going to get the egos. I'm not sure how much healthier those are really than lollipops. But you guys get the point. A lot of times we're, we're busy pursuing the lollipops that we can't see the good breakfast that God has in store for us. And I think sometimes, depending on where we are, that's what we need to hear. We need to hear that there's something better. But we understand through personal experience and just the dynamics in a room this size, that's not where everyone is. And so where this can be happy and encouraging and uplifting for some people, for others, hearing a message like this is incredibly painful. Because you haven't asked for lollipops. You've been asking God for things that seem really in line with his will. We feel like we've been seeking after God and seeking after God and seeking after God and, and it's still dry. It's still the desert. We wonder how long can we really knock on what feels like a closed door. And it hurts. It raises serious, deep questions that require community and nuanced answers and time together that we cannot offer in a 30-minute sermon. We get that. That's why community is here. That's why we invite you guys during response time to fill out whatever questions you have, to seek a community to do life with, to unpack these things with together with other people. We have to keep in mind, who is God in the midst of this? What is he like? 
This quote from Peter Lightheart helps to explain some of this. This is what he says. What's going on when we don't get what we ask? It may be many things, but Jesus makes it clear that one thing is definitely not going on. This is not God giving you stones for bread, a snake or scorpion instead of a fish. This is not God giving you the short end of the stick. This is not God keeping the door locked. He doesn't do that. Ever, ever, ever. I can't help but read that in like the Chris Tucker from Rush Hour. Never, never, never. No, nobody else has seen it. <laughs> he gives good gifts to his children. Always, always, always. Nothing but good. But do we trust that? Do we trust that God is good? That God is in control? Do we know these things because we've spent time with him? This is where it's helpful to step back. Right? Like, have you guys had that where you have whatever kind of intense situation for yourself and then you ask somebody from the outside and they're like, that's not really that big a deal? Right? I'm not saying whatever you're going through is not that big a deal. What I'm saying is when we step back and look at the character, the scope of who God is throughout the biblical narrative from this father, this loving father even before creation, Ricardo has talked about this a lot, that before God was judge or creator or anything else, he was a loving father. He created everything to share in this loving goodness. That even while the people that he created and called very good sinned and rebelled against him, he still drew close. He still covered them with new clothes, better than the fig leaves that they stitched together. That throughout the biblical story, we see God pursuing his people. And sometimes they're kind of getting it right, but most of the time they're not. If you guys have been following with us in this True Story Project, and we've seen Israel, who were slaves, literally being killed. God miraculously delivers them out of Egypt, and within the next few days, they're like, can we just go back to Egypt? We're hungry. So God provides food, God provides water, God provides meat, God provides laws to help shape them as his people. He provides land and space for them. He provides correction to help them live the life that God intended them to, and they still turn their backs on him, and he still pursues them. Can't help but hear my own story in this. This loving God, this pursuing God who follows after us as we're walking away. It's not that we're neutral. We're walking away from God, and he's like the shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep to find the one who is lost. A lot of times we use this language like, I found God, which is horribly inaccurate because God was never lost. <laughs> we were. And we know that Jesus promises he will return, that this kingdom of heaven will be restored on earth, that all things will be recreated and returned back to the way they were intended to be. So the angst that we feel, the worry that we feel, the frustration, the pain, the sorrow, the lament that 2016 seems to have been full of will be restored. God promises every tear will be wiped away. No more pain, no more sadness. Things will be restored to the way this good, loving, and powerful Father intended them to be. 
And that's what we cling to. In the midst of the questions, as we feel like we're asking and seeking and knocking and we may not be able to see God clearly, we cling to this hope. God reminds us throughout Scripture, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says he doesn't change. While his people may not have always understood what he was doing in and through and for them, he has a plan. And even when we can't understand it, sometimes we just need that friend to like give us a hug and not offer any like hallmark greeting card answers, but just pray with us and cry with us and be there. God says, ask, we will find. Seek and it will be revealed. Knock and the door will be opened. Not because we're so good or we're so persistent, but because our Father is so good. Will you guys pray with me? God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit that opens our eyes to your truth. We thank you that even in the midst of difficulties, when you do seem distant, when you do seem confusing and even untrustworthy, we thank you that you are our rock, that you are our refuge, that you are our stronghold in times of trouble. We thank you that you no longer call us servants, but you call us friends. We thank you that you adopt us as sons and daughters into your family and that there's nothing we could ever do to become more of a son or daughter or nothing we could ever do to become less of a son or daughter. We thank you that you love us because you love us. Help us to trust that. We thank you for the guidance of the man in Scripture that prays, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. God, we believe. We pray that you would soften those hard areas in our hearts and our lives that still struggle with unbelief. We thank you for the grace that you do that. We love you, Jesus. Help us to love you more. We pray these things in your name. Amen.